In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. In today's Gospel reading, we hear about the story of the man, the demon-possessed man, whom was blind and mute, and the Lord healed him. Also in the Gospel reading, the Lord speaks about these two separate kingdoms. And as we know that demonic influences are always around us, and they affect us in a very real way, sometimes in subtle ways, and sometimes in very obvious ways, like we have seen in today's gospel reading with a demon-possessed man. And not only is it a typical war among humanity as a whole, but it becomes amplified even more among Christians. And it's because we have made this choice to pursue or to desire the will of God. Father Matthew the Poor, he says, man's very acquisition of the spirit of truth constitutes a declaration of war on the spirit of falsehood. Man's very acquisition of the spirit of truth constitutes a declaration of war on the spirit of falsehood. That is to say that by receiving the Holy Spirit, that even you might say that the Holy Spirit instigates war against evil, against Satan. Humanity, as we know, has an inclination towards sin. And by the Spirit of God, a lifelong war exists, but the two cannot mingle. The life of holiness the desire to seek the will of God cannot mingle with desiring to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the passions of, of this life. So when the soul pursues the will of the spirit, good fruits come forth. When the soul pursues the will of the flesh, it brings forth rotten fruits. And the Lord, he said that in today's gospel, he said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, that the tree is known by the fruit. And in Galatians, St. Paul, he describes what are the fruits of the flesh, saying that the works of the flesh are evident, and there's a long list of things, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfishness, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, the list goes on and on of what is the fruit of the flesh. Can you give me that microphone? Is this too, it's like echoing, huh? No, it's okay. And then St. Paul, he then speaks about the fruits of the Spirit, that the fruits of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and so when these fruits become manifest both inside and out it becomes more and more clear according to the Lord's mes message to us today that we become living symbols of that which the which nourishes the soul when we seek to pursue the will of God then we are a symbol of God. 
And when we pursue the lusts of the flesh or the desires of the, of the, of the flesh, then we become a symbol of the world, a symbol of evil. And so I want to reflect on this as us being a symbol of God. In Greek, the word symbol in describing and defining what symbol is, in Greek it is defined as throwing together or bringing together. To bring together an abstract, uncontrollable, or an unapproachable power or a realm and bringing it together into the realm of the everyday. And the Lord even said in today's gospel, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather, he who does not bring together with me scatters abroad. So he who does not bring together the realm of God to humanity or even to oneself will be scattered. We, of course, are all creatures of symbolism or um, we have many examples of symbolism in our lives. For example, we, if we're married, we have a wedding ring. This is something even outside of Christianity is something that is a material thing. It's a piece of metal, but it is a symbol of something that is much greater and much deeper. Today we will have announced like uh, um, some of the graduates. They, have, they receive a diploma from whatever institution that they graduate from. The diploma is a piece of paper. It's not worth anything. But to the person, it's a lot more valuable. There's, there's a deeper meaning to this piece of paper than what the eye is looking at. So as a community, we create rituals, we create symbols to express a deeper reality. And the more I involved I am with those rituals, the more of a reality it becomes. So, so like in the example of the diploma, that, or even in a graduation ceremony, for the graduate, it's something that they look forward to. And of course, we know that whoever has graduated long ago probably hates graduation ceremonies now because it doesn't mean very much. But to the one who, who was participating in it in that immediate, in, in immediate sense, there's a much greater meaning to that ceremony. And even there is symbolism incorporated into a ceremony. There's a specific graduation song that they enter with. There is a speech that has to be made. There are certain people that should be present. There is a uniform that is worn by the graduates. Then they hand out the diploma and then they throw their hats and then things go downhill from there. But each element of the ceremony is sim it has a symbolism to it. There's a greater meaning than just what the eye sees. And so we have to decide to be symbols of God that are manifest in the same way. 
that there are things in life that are tangible, things that can be seen, that I see and can be seen by others, to bring out a deeper reality or to reflect a deeper reality. And maybe things that we can practice or things that we can think about is that even I, if I don't, for example, pray before I eat, making the sign of the cross before I eat, it's a symbol of gratitude, of thanksgiving, or prostrations or ascetic practices, or nourishing myself beyond just the liturgy once a week. If we think about if we think about the liturgy, if, so, if we come from the beginning of the service and it's three hours, I think it's like 2% of our week. 2%. And this is why in the example of the graduation ceremony, if you've already graduated long ago, you probably don't want to attend a graduation ceremony. So over time, the things that were important to us eventually become less important to us. Being a symbol of God and granting Him 2% of my life, it's difficult for me to be a symbol of God or to, be, or to even desire to, to be a symbol of God. We see this even, for example, if we see like in a, the life of a college student where everything becomes the people that I'm, the people that I'm with what I'm doing, if I'm, in a, if I'm in a class, I'm with the same people, I'm studying with those people, I'm going to the lab with these people, I'm going on these, going to seminars and all of these things, my life is revolved around what I need to do for this class, to gain knowledge and understanding and to be integrated in this class. And it's the same thing that we have to do also in our own spiritual life, to engage, to engage with the Lord so that we can be symbols of the Lord. That my life can be, that my life also needs to revolve around Him. Maybe attending a Bible study, or if you're the women's book club, the men's book club, you haven't attended, come. Go to these things, not, not because we, we, we would like to see great numbers, no. Because that is how we become symbols of the Lord. Is when we nourish ourselves in the same way that we would be willing to nourish ourselves in the world. For a degree. Or for our work. To have success. And also to be among community in which we are able to express that symbol. Our world, we're deprived of being able to express our faith or to express our pursuit of God's will. We are deprived of being able to, in, in, in work or in doing, being a symbol of God. But among ourselves, we can, not only can we express our, our faith, express our, um, ourselves as being a symbol of God, but we encourage each other being symbols of God. We encourage each other to be able to express those things in a more, um, in a more faithful and pure way.
it's different than when we try to pursue our spiritual lives individually. It's like, uh, you know, at the, la the last clergy meeting, we were talking about how we have to have a practice for anyone who's coming to read to be able to pronounce things right. Why? Because when we're reading the scripture alone, individually, and we come across names or cities that we don't know how to pronounce, we are reading them in our head. And we're not actually reading them. We just kind of like either skim through it or just like, I get it, you know? But then when the reader comes up here and is reading to you, is in a state of shock. Because, okay, I, I know this, I, I've seen this, but I don't know how to pronounce it because I never had to, I never had to pronounce it out loud. It's the same thing in, the, in, our, in our faith, in being symbols of God, that it isn't about an only about an individual nourishment, but that among each other, we, our expression of, of being a symbol of God becomes more accurate, becomes more um, faithful. And so the more that I engage myself with the symbolic expression of God and representing a deep reality of God, the more I become a symbol of God. The more I am bringing together the reality of God. In the Gregorian liturgy, we say, the priest, he prays, I offer you, O my master, the symbols of my freedom. I offer you, O my master, the symbols of my freedom. I offer you the gathering together of my freedom. Everything that I have, I give it to you. The deep realities of my freedom or the things that I subscribe myself to, all of those things, I offer them to you. But when we pray these things, do we, some, we have to ask ourselves, am I content with what I have to offer? Am I pleased with what I have to offer? Am I really offering the Lord everything, all of my freedom? The next part of that prayer says, I write my works according to your sayings. When we write something, there's a decision. There's the use of the mind, the thinking, to act out those rituals. Or to act out the, my life according to the will of God. So I write my works. I decide by my own freedom to do according to your will or to do according to your sayings. And in like manner, our passions have the same, they require the same rituals. That I'm thinking about the things that I'm struggling with. I give my freedom to act out these rituals. If I struggle with gossip, for example, we decide to do these things. They're not just impulsive, but there must be a well thought out judgment against another person. It might involve disc having discreet interviews with others to justify my judgment, to manipulate conversations until the relevant subject comes up and then I'm invited to bring down others. So we make these decisions. I have freedom to do that. But where does my freedom lie? 
Do I offer my freedom to the will of God or do I offer my freedom to the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh? It should be our goal to have one heart and one mind with God. Not to have distorted minds to take away from my freedom because then I don't have much to offer from myself. To do, for us to be symbols of God, we strive to again surround our senses, to surround ourselves by the, the words of God, by His sayings, by His will. And we inch our way in that direction. Sometimes I wonder, because I've, I've, I've been asked this question a few times, of like, is it, is it okay to get tipsy? Is it okay to do weed? Sometimes these questions surprise me because it's like we're inching our ways to the lust of the flesh. How close can I get to the desires of the flesh without somehow separating myself from God? How many drinks can I have before, before uh, it affects me? And I try to create that line. But the thing is that these substances, what they do is they take from my freedom. So instead of freeing my mind so that I can give my freedom and offer my freedom so that I can be a symbol of God, gather together my freedom to offer to God, I'm trying to gather the specifics of how I can still satisfy the desires of the flesh. I can't use something that takes away from my free will, literally takes away from my free will. I can't, I'm, not, I'm not actually thinking in the way that I would normally think without these substances. And yet I want to find the way just barely before I cross the edge. Whereas the gospel is saying we've got to go the other direction. How much can I free myself from these things so that in my whole mind I am able to be a symbol of God because I'm offering him all of my freedom so today Christ he healed a demon possessed man that means that there was a stronghold on this man there was a possession there was an influence and maybe in our lives maybe in most cases we don't see influences by possession Although I will say that, believe me, it does. But there can be strongholds against our will. This man, a part of this man's freedom was taken away. A part of this man's free will was taken away. He was no longer able to lend himself to God. Yet, he freed him, he, he healed him, to give him another chance that his freedom is now not clung, clinging to anyone or anything and now is the opportunity for him to give his freedom to offer his freedom to the Lord 
the symbols too of my freedom, the gathering, the bringing together of my freedom that I may offer it, and I write my works with your sayings. May the Lord always heal us through a life of repentance, through our life of repentance, that we may always have a chance to offer ourselves, to offer the symbols of our freedom to him, that we may be symbols in the world of the Lord himself. To him be the glory both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen.